Hello and welcome to the Cardamom podcast. My name is Kieran Williams. I'm your host for this one-off special and I am delighted to be joined by my two co-hosts today, Siham Ali. Say hello, Si. Hiya. And George Mathias. Say hello, George. Pleasure to be with you, Kieran. Amazing. Thank you both for joining me. This one-off special is a podcast that's brought the three of us together to answer one question. What is the tikka masala? Now, it may not be a question you're perhaps expecting, but it's one we hope by the end you will appreciate. Throughout this podcast, we want to teach you a bit about the curry, um, perhaps its roots, perhaps its questionable roots, and sort of what it means for us today in Britain or what it reflects on us. We'll get straight to it. Because I, for one, am not the most culinarily disciplined. I tend to eat simple things. So our first question should be, what is a tikka masala? George, talk me through it. What on earth is this food I keep talking about? Well, luckily for you, Kieran, there's not a lot of uh, consensus on what the tikka masala actually is. Um, But through discussions that we've held with various experts, um, the basic premise of it has to include chicken and cream the rest is pretty much entirely up for debate um conventionally you have um a number of spices normally cumin um garlic um you'll have some salt you'll have some chili powder you'll have some cloves but as i say the origin of the dish as we have uh well as we'll talk about further later is primarily just based upon chicken with cream and spices Um, So in that vein, uh, I will now read from you my personal favourite recipe from the one and only Mira Soda, who you may know is a um, British Indian chef who makes banging food. Um, And this is her take on the masala. Um, It's paneer masala, so it's suitable for the vegetarians among us. Um, And it is as follows. So the ingredients is rapeseed oil, Paneer, 500 grams, three tablespoons of unsalted butter, one large brown onion, four centimeters of ginger, six cloves of garlic, 800 grams of tomato passata, one tablespoon of dried fenugreek leaves, one teaspoon ground cinnamon, a quarter of a teaspoon ground cloves, half a teaspoon of chili powder, two tablespoons of honey, one and a half teaspoons of salt, 250 grams of peas, 100 millilitres of double cream and a handful of toasted flaked almonds. The recipe is as follows. Put a table of oil into a large little frying pan over a medium heat and when hot, add the cubes of paneer. Fry for a couple of minutes until golden on all sides, turning regularly. Then remove to a plate. Put the butter in the same pan over a medium heat. When hot, add the onion and fry for around 10 minutes until translucent and turning golden. Add the ginger and garlic, stir fry for two to three minutes, then add the passata. Cover the lid and cook for 12 to 15 minutes until reduced to a lovely thick sauce. Then add the fenugreek leaves, cinnamon, cloves, chili powder, honey, and salt to the pan. Stir, then add the fried paneer, cover with a lid and cook for five minutes or until cooked through. Add the peas and cream and cook for a further five minutes. To serve, scatter with the almonds and drizzle with a little extra cream. This curry is perfect with steamed basmati rice. Amazing. Okay. My nut allergy aside, that does sound very delicious, actually. 
Hey, see, so I'm getting, a, I'm starting to understand this dish a bit more. So sticking with the metaphor, if I was an alien invader, I had just come to Earth and I was like, what the hell is this? George has now explained what it is. But I have another question. The word tikka masala, what? What what where where does it come from? Who's it from? What does it mean? Can you uh, help help me out there a bit? That's a good question, Kieran. The word tikka actually originates in Persian and simply means bits or pieces. Chicken tikka refers to spiced and roasted boneless chunks of chicken, and masala, which technically means a spice or herb blend, refers to the fenugreek laden aromatic thick creamy sauce that accompanies the tikkas. The Punjabi dish is one or many variants um, and it has cousins across Afghanistan, Turkey and Persia, which, of course, as you know, is modern day Iran and Egypt. So, yeah, that's that's where the word tikka comes from. And um, so I hope I've answered your question. Amazing. See, that's really helpful. OK, I am starting to understand this dish a bit more now. So we understand what it is. We know the word and where that came from. But I suppose that leaves us with one other question, where the dish itself came from. Now, as I understand with my limited knowledge, this is quite a contentious issue with a number of different people and groups laying claim to a number of different roots and histories and stories to it. I want to start actually in George's favorite place, the, um, the UK Labour Party. George, why on earth has the Labour Party waded into this debate a bit? Can you tell me about that? Funny you should ask, Karen. Um, well, it was actually the former Foreign Secretary from 1997 to 2001, Robert Cook, who publicly opined on this matter. Um, and in a speech in which he gave in 2001, he said, chicken tikka is an Indian dish. The masala sauce was added to satisfy the desire of British people to have their meat served in gravy. Whilst we have no way to check the veracity of these claims, um, it is... Uh, another example of the dish's muddled history. Um, and this doesn't stop there. So Mohammed Sawa, the first Muslim MP in the UK and father Anas Sawa, who is the current Scottish Labour leader, tried to have the dish given EU protected designation of origin status for the curry. Um, the attempt was ultimately unsuccessful. However, we'll come back to this with our special guests later. Okay, that's interesting. So we're starting to build up a bit of a picture. So. Mr. Cook, God bless his soul, Mary, rest in peace, is saying that the dish came over in some way, shape or form, but in Britain, because apparently we love things slathered in gravy, it was altered and became what it was today. Now, I've seen um, another book I'm hoping you could help me with. It's called Indian Cookery, and I have reason to believe it also may, claim, may lay claim to the origins of this dish. Yeah, so Colleen and Peter Grove, who are distinguished ethnic food historians, uh, basically stated that the dish was most certainly invented in Britain, probably by a Bangladeshi chef. And after delving deep into the depths of numerous claims of these origins, um, these foodies point the finger towards Mrs. Balbit Singh's coveted Shahi chicken masala recipe, which just so happened to be published in 1961 in the book Indian Cookery. So the blurb... Uh, which reads as follows, says, a long-established favourite, this book offers a wide range of recipes, curries, kebabs, rice, breads, sweets, savouries, ice creams, shabbats and squashes, pickles, chutneys and other preserves. And it includes dishes from Pakistan as well as from India. There are also some attractive Chinese dishes which have become popular and even traditional in India. Those who cater for vegetarians will find that, as well as special, a special section on vegetarian dishes, there are plenty of interesting vegetarian dishes throughout the book. 
the present edition is even richer than before, 60 new recipes having been added. And one of these 60 new recipes was perhaps the tikka masala. Okay, uh, so that's really interesting as well. So already we have a number of conflicting stories about where the dish may have come from in this country. But so far, they're all agreeing on one thing, is that it did come from this country. See, coming to you, because I want you to burst our little happy bubble here of migration stories and, you know, Britain doing stuff. Why are we wrong? Did it, did it perhaps not come from this country? Does it perhaps have older, deeper roots in Indian history? Can you uh, help, help me out here? Take me through this adventure. Yeah, well, I can, I can do my best. It starts with Zamuddin Ahmed, a chef at Delhi's Karim Hotel, which was established by the last chef, the last Mughal emperor, Bahadur Shah Zafar, who actually died in 1862. He says the recipe had been passed down through the generations in his family. And in an interview with The Telegraph, he said, chicken tikka masala is an authentic Mughalay recipe prepared by forefathers who were royal chefs in the Mughal period. Mughals were avid trekkers and used to spend months all together in jungles and far off places. They liked roasted form of chickens with spices. And here's a bit of a history lesson for you, Kieran, um, about the last Mughal emperor. He ruled in name only by this point, thanks in large to the East India Company. His empire had been ransacked from the inside out, his father imprisoned, and whilst he wasn't the favoured heir, a fortunate series of events, namely warring on the rest of his family, he took the throne. So is the British Empire responsible for this delectable dish? Probably, yeah, in one way or another. However, it is important to note that although the British weren't that involved in the history of the tikka masala, they definitely have a huge impact on what we know about the dish today in modern day Britain. Okay, that's amazing. Now I'm interested. As a, as a history fan, I enjoyed that thoroughly. And I like the image of a dying empire birthing a lovely, lovely curry for me to have. So now we're, I'm sort of starting to understand there is a lot of contention around this dish. Um, thankfully, actually, we've got a special guest in today who may be able to shed some light. So, George, we uh, shipped you up virtually, at least, to Glasgow to speak to the son of the gentleman who could have actually really genuinely been responsible to the dish. Can you tell us a bit about that before we introduce our guest? Absolutely. So uh, his name is Asif Ali and he runs the Shish Mahal restaurant in Glasgow. Uh, and now his father uh, emigrated to Glasgow in the early 1970s, lays perhaps the strongest claim we have um, of inventing the tikka masala. Um, and his son now continues to run this restaurant. I think it's moved um, moved homes a couple of times, but nonetheless, the like the staff and the makeup of the restaurant effectively remains the same. Lots of the recipes remain unchanged from when his father was running it in the 70s. Um, and yeah, he's just an all-round interesting dude who was a pleasure to talk to. Amazing. And that obviously links back to the earlier point about one Mohammed Sawar when he was trying to obviously give the dish special protection. So we'll, we'll go to George's conversation with him now. And after, we'll, we'll talk a bit about perhaps what the dish says about us today in Britain, in a good and perhaps bad way as well. Yeah, it just happened by accident. Really? Um, dad, uh, at the time, had an ulcer, so he couldn't take anything spicy. So he <laughs> used to drink, uh, uh, he loved tomato soup, Campbell's tomato soup, and, and it was condensed, you know, so... So uh, in a day, he would uh, 
take half uh, half a can and the other half he would take the next day, you know, because they were, uh, were concentrated. So um, one day uh, a regular customer came. He's a bus driver and we must have had a bad day. And, and uh, so he sat down and he ordered a yu-yu curry. And uh, when the curry came, uh, he sent it back. He says, it's, it's dry and tasteless. Right? So dad was having his soup and and the, and Molly, the waitress, came this is dry and tasteless. And so he told the, the chef, just put this tomato soup into the curry uh, and and reheat uh, and give it to him, you know. Uh, so he did exactly that, and the customer absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it, and cheered him up, and uh, so he came back the next day. And he said, "I want the same thing." And so after a, a few days, coming and wanting the same thing, and he bringing his friends, we dad then saw what is it that he likes, you know. So uh, they use a soup for the first few times, and then they kind of isolate the ingredients of the cream and the tomatoes and, and the spices, etc. And then they just put that based on the ch chicken curry. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it wasn't uh, on that, in those times, it was just the basic curries. There wasn't anything fancy and all that. And there was actually, there was nothing fancy in, in, in the makeup of it or, or in the inception of it. Uh, it it's just, uh, we, could, we could tell you fancy stories, but it's not true. It's just, it was just simply by accident, you know. Um, and after that, we just isolated the ingredients and started to cook with those ingredients and all that. And the customers loved it, you know. So it's still very popular. Yeah. Very popular. And uh, we had a table of 10 yesterday, and seven of them took the chicken tikka masala. Uh, I think so, that's a pretty good show of support for your, your dad's dish then. <laughs> yeah, sure. But we, we didn't do it for recognition or for fame or anything. And uh, we've never, uh, if somebody wants to call it uh, and uh, chicken tikka masala, they want to copy it over we have no problem because because it's like uh, we don't want to copyright it or we don't want to protect it unless we know there's always people who try to jump on the bandwagon you know uh, like we know Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon but there's still people there's still people who uh, don't believe that or or give uh, give uh, alternative story or or, a, or the moon landings never happened so uh, I, what would I say to that I would say I, I wouldn't even argue with that you know so because uh, if, if if you have that idea in your head there's very little you can uh, you can uh, argue against someone you know? so I'm not really the the actual dish is not that complex it's, there's chicken there's uh, the spices, um, uh, but it's the composition of the spices. So I, I, I could tell you that the, uh, all it is is uh, cream, spices, and chicken and tomatoes, basically, right? Now that could that could mean you could the how you it's how you make it. You can either make it into a pasta, 
right? If you think about it, all those ingredients are in in, in a pasta or a pizza or a, or, or a, so so the the it's in, it's how the ingredients are fused together, um, because the ingredients itself is universal, right? So you could uh, Italians use the same ingredients. Uh, Thai uses the same ingredient. Indian uses the same ingredient. It's how uh, how you put it, put them together. So I I, I couldn't exactly tell you uh, what the the composition of the spices are, uh, but basically the ingredients are, are are universal, and we are lucky in the UK that we have amazing ingredients. We got we have the best of everything. So. Uh, and uh, Scotland being what it is, uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's basically how those ingredients are put, put together. Yeah, see see what it is uh, in Italy uh, and in Pakistan and in India, um, they have very few external uh, population coming in, right? Italians are Italians, okay, um, but Britain is different. You've got the whole world coming to Britain. You've got Italians who come to the Britain. You had the Jewish people, and before that, uh, then you had the Indians and Pakistanis, and then you had the Chinese, and you had, so you have so many people coming in, right? Now, when they came in, uh, they opened up. Restaurants, right? Now, if you purely made Indian food for Indians, you wouldn't have a business any because there's first of all at that time the Indians and the Pakistanis they were working they couldn't afford to cook eat out, right? So you had to uh, change your product to meet the 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 market, your consumer, right? So, um, like all businesses, everything is consumer-led, right? Now, if the consumer doesn't want it, you don't have much of a business. Simple, mm. pure and simple. So, the Italian restaurants here, if they didn't adapt to the consumer, there would not be any Italian restaurants. If the Chinese didn't adapt to the customer. So, yes, it's, uh, the uh, Indian food is very different from what you get and in Indian Pakistan. The Chinese food here is hugely different to what you get in, in, in China. Exactly, so we, we we don't make for those markets. We make for our market here, right? So, um, and authenticity, we don't bother with that because if I was to lose sleep over authenticity, we will never have a business. I, I would say actually, uh, they're not Indian cuisine or Chinese cuisine. I would even go as far as to say it's hybrid British cuisine now. Yeah, I'd also ask, if, uh, could you talk just a little bit about um, like your dad? Like, did he emigrate to, to Scotland? Yeah, he, he came uh, from Pakistan um, in 1959. Um, and uh, he came because his dad came in uh, a few years earlier and his dad came because his brother came a few years earlier um, so 
if, without going into too much detail, um, if you look at the United Kingdom, right? Why did they come to Glasgow? Right? Glasgow was, they came for the, the shipyards for work, right? But they, then they found that Glasgow was actually very, um, they were, the people were very welcoming, right? Um, so, so that, that's the reason they came to Glasgow. They worked in the shipyards, but because the, the people who came were educated, right? They went into business. They were natural entrepreneurs. And being entrepreneurs, they saw what the market needed, right? And they adapted to that, right? And <clears throat> when they go into business, they integrated very, very well, mm. right? right? It's all about integration. If you don't, if you don't integrate and uh, and and uh, dovetail with your market, you won't have a business. Yeah. So was your was your um, father a chef um, back home, or was he? Oh. Uh, no, he wasn't. No, he, he was only uh, sixteen when he came over. Oh uh, right, okay, yeah. So he's just a wee boy. He hadn't, li he hadn't lived for that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was just a wee boy. Yeah, right? yeah. and uh, uh, but he knew that what he could get in Pakistan and what he could achieve here. Was was he, he was ambitious? Mm. That's what that's what I was. And none of the sh none of the restaurants opened had sh trained chefs. They they were self-taught. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and maybe that was the reason why they adapted so fast because they were they were not hardwired. Mm. All they knew is this is what I want, and if the customer wants this, we'll give the customer that. You know, so there was no ego involved. There's no hardwired uh, culinary techniques involved in so. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, so do you think that, do you think that say your dad had instead gone to, I don't know, France or Germany or Italy, do you think he could have still have created like his, you know, the, the restaurant and everything and kind of brought? I, it, it, it would be different because... The palate of Glaswegians are different than the palate of someone, a German from Munich or a, a Frenchman from Marseille. The palates are different. And uh, we suit, we accommodate the palate, right? So it, it, it could be, a, if there's a parallel universe and you could see uh, dad in Glasgow, dad in Marseille, dad in Munich. What, what, what would be the dish now? It wouldn't be a chicken tikka masala. It would be something else suitable for that palate, you know. So, yeah, in, in Indian Pakistan, we don't use cream. Right? Yeah. First of all, cream is a very, very, very premium product, right? And uh, they don't use that for cooking, right? And they're mostly, the cream is usually mostly used for special occasions and desserts. Okay, so, so but cream is readily available here because you have so much milk and we have uh, so 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 because you can see the, the difference so um, for example the korma here is creamy 
but the korma in in Pakistan is a spicy dish. Mm. So you can see the difference. Hybrid British. Now, now that does sound like a description of myself, and also makes me seem a lot more environmentally friendly than I probably am. Interestingly, and I suspect the same will apply to C here, his own story and that of his father does mirror my own and that of my father's, despite I've never set foot in Glasgow, I think I want to apply for a job there. But it's interesting, the stories and the broader themes that this dish draws out, which I think many people, many especially first, second and third generation immigrants across the UK, will really relate to about finding yourselves in those sort of spaces where your culture clashes with that of the UK, where they meet, and in that sort of contact zone, what bubbles up uh, and what's new. That's really interesting um, and a wonderful conversation you had with him. And something he says at the end there, that really caught my imagination about what the dish says about Britain today and the country and countries we live in and the sort of the impact of migration and the stories we tell about ourselves. As a nice ending point, I want you both to talk to me about that. What do you think the tikka masala dish says about our home country today? George, talk to me. So I think you can take the dish um, as a validation of British multiculturalism and the kind of um, accepting way in which British culture absorbs influences from um, you know, external sources and, and um, nations. Um, and you can see it as a kind of metaphorical melting pot of how good immigration has been for the country and how good we are at um, accommodating people from uh, far-flung lands. Um, but I think you can also take the, um, the kind of importance we place on um, how much we enjoy curry and other dishes from abroad um, and see that as kind of often cloaking um, our ability to understand and fully come to terms with the atrocities that occurred um, as part of empire. And so whilst I think the masala dish is absolutely like a true success story of multiculturalism, uh, I think you do also have to be careful sometimes, or British people um, have to be careful of seeing the masala as a kind of vindication of how accepting we are of all immigrants and how, you know, we live in this um, post-racial society where uh, deep-rooted issues of imperialism have stopped. Um, and so I think it's kind of uh, an interesting flashpoint on, on um, the history of Britain and how uh, how we perceive of our kind of modern culture, if you will. That's really interesting. And I think a nice pushback, like you said, against some of the perhaps more naive assumptions about the dish. Okay, yeah. see, we've, we've heard from George and some sort of final thoughts. What's, what's your take on the tiki masala? Because I've won, I'm not only very hungry now, but I feel like I've learned a lot. So please teach me more. Yeah, well, I'm incredibly hungry and I would love a paneer. Um, curry right now my take on it is I just feel that there's been so many different variations of the tikka masala very much like the Italian carbonara you know you don't in Britain a carbonara isn't a carbonara without you know the the, the British elements that we've added over time and I feel like the tikka masala is pretty much the same what I found really interesting with the research when researching this topic and working on this podcast with you two is that although it is radically different to how it started, it doesn't mean it's any less delicious, but I think it's really important that we know where it came from. 
who created it and you know its origins because that can definitely be um wiped out over time i think um so yeah my my take is that that is really interesting too and i think draws an important line between whether we're co-opting or engaging with these sort of cultures we're bringing in um thank you both for coming today to to teach me about this dish um george i'm on my way to yours now for that paneer curry because i am i am very very hungry i wasn't i wasn't kidding and yeah i hope everyone enjoyed listening um to the first and last episode of the cardamom podcast we had an absolute delight making it for you despite other deadlines crushing weight of examinations and whatnot we've all learned a lot we hope you've learned a lot if you have any questions comments thoughts whatever just tweet them out we don't care about them particularly but thank you once again and enjoy outro music outro music outro music da, 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 da. I was going to read out George's number after the questions, comments and thing. I was be like, just call us on. And then I was going to read George's number, but I didn't want to. Guys, why did the chicken tikka masala cross the road? Why? Because it was in a curry. <laughs> <laughs>